0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hi, this is Chris Fox, author of Right to Market in 5,000 Words Per Hour, and you are listening to Genretainment.
0: Genretainment. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. I'm your host, Marks, going solo for this episode. Julie really wasn't able to join us today, but shall return in our next episode. So Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, books, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. You're listening to episode 119. Today I'm chatting with video game writer, novelist, screenwriter, and podcast host, Justin Sloan. We talk about his fiction books, his non-fiction books, writing for video games, how being a veteran has affected his writing, and so much more. You may have heard me on his Creative Writing Career podcast. That interview actually happened first, but I got a little sidetracked traveling to ITV Fest, so this interview was delayed. But if you missed it, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can hear Justin get his turn interviewing me. Before we get started with Justin's interview, I should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. A song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our interview with writer Justin Sloan. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So I was introduced to you from Michael Laurent, a previous guest. Yeah. And because uh, I think you guys are working on something together. Oh, yeah.
1: Something humongous. humongous. <laughs> and when, that, when I say that, I don't mean page length, because actually the page lengths are pretty short, but in breadth and feel and emotion oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna blow your mind oh it's actually okay. i think we're gonna come out with it pretty soon i think we're looking at like maybe october we might do mm-hmm. a pre like exclusive release through insta freebie which i'm not sure if okay. you're familiar with but i'd be happy mm. to chat about oh I love i'm insta not freebie. actually i just started like a week ago and i already have uh it's like a, it's a way you put your books out for free and you can get email signups for your newsletter huh. but it's like 20 bucks a month and in one week i've gotten 213 uh subscribers which is pretty good for 20 bucks a month that is pretty you now and so if you if you carry that through and i haven't started group promos so there's this whole topic we go on about group promos where <laughs> supposedly you get way more numbers and yeah so so if i come out with like a thousand or two thousand a month i'm gonna be like oh my god you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds great so it's sort of like book bub yeah. then in a way not at all no,
1: not all. No. Because okay. book book just rejects me over and over and over again. So oh. not Book Book. <laughs> love it. They, they accepted me once a long time ago for a children's book I had. But children's books don't sell as well as other books, you know? So, like, it was cool and it did well and it made its money back and it carried over for like two months and it kind of died off. Mm. So I really want them to accept my fantasy trilogy or the first in the fantasy trilogy because that would be amazing, you know, to get the, the income streams going. But, uh, yeah. No, no, this... This is more like something like Cells. I don't know if you heard of that, S-C-L-Z. Basically, you just put your book on there. It's free, but the only way you just can get it is if they subscribe to your newsletter. So they put their email into that, into that box. So instead of like BookBook book where they sign up at front, here you go and you say, oh yeah, I do want this book. And you go to your email address and click, I subscribe to this newsletter, and then you get the book. Just like that. Huh. So and okay. you can pick and choose different books, you know, and then you end up subscribing to all those newsletters, whoever you end up picking and choosing from. Uh, which is great for the group promos also because then they're not signing up for like the whole group and getting all Mm -hmm. those email address, newsletters, signups. They're signing up for just the individual books within those group promos that they want. So they're still tied to that author, specific to that author. So when you get an email, you know this person wants to hear from you or at least wants to check out your book,
0: Mm -hmm. which is great. That sounds pretty cool. Where can people go for that? Is is that like something you
1: put on your individual site or is there an actual place? Yeah, there's a website called instafreebie.com, I think. And it's kind of cool about them is the more you share it, the more they share you. So, I should have actually on my website the first thing you see when you go to it. One of my websites, I have two like author sites because one I'm like including all my screenwriting and video game stuff, mm-hmm. and on the other one I'm just doing author stuff. So the the multi everything site is justinmsloan.com. The other one is justinsloanauthor.com. And I think the first link on both of those, definitely the uh, Justin M Sloan. Uh, the first thing you'll see is my one of my Insta freebie giveaways. It's a fantasy thing. It's uh, from my trilogy, but it's episode one plus some short stories that are exclusive to that website, to the Insta freebie hmm. website. So, Yeah. So if anybody wants to go check that out? Awesome.
0: Because <laughs> I did get a few freebies of yours. I don't oh. know if it's through that. I think it's just your normal email subscription. Oh, cool. So, you uh, up for that? Yep. yep. You see that? Yep. On, on your email
1: list. or something else? Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah, just yeah, just oh, my God. I'm giving away too much stuff, huh? Like, <laughs> you sign up <laughs> for that. <laughs> And you get three books. How it works on Insta freebies, is when you sign up and you get whatever books on there and then it signs you up for my regular newsletter. So then like a day or two later, you'll get the email with those three books in it. So right off the okay. bat, somebody has four free books. <laughs> it's like, wow. when are they? Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'm... you get these whale readers, right? Who just like plow through this. They're just like, you know, mouth open, absorbing it all. And uh, and then those are the ones who might go buy your next stuff or at least <laughs> nice reviews and want more free books that they'll leave nice reviews on. <laughs>
0: You know, I never heard the term "whale
1: reader" until like two days ago, and now I heard it I again. Know. It's <laughs> everywhere all of a sudden. It's because of Michael Anderley, I think. He uh, he loves that term, and then now everybody's using it. I don't know who started yeah. it. I'm sure it started before him, but it makes sense, you know. Like the whales, they just go ah, their mouths open, and things just go <laughs> into their mouth and they just absorb, absorb, absorb. <laughs> all right, so we we
0: had a very odd start to this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Justin. <laughs> so justin you're a author you're a video game writer you are a screenwriter you're a writer yeah. of everything just about so i don't know about plays but you're a writer of just about no, everything
1: i haven't tried plays i haven't tried um i don't do erotica or any kind of like weird things in that area mm-hmm. uh but as far as like multiple genres and multiple media yeah i try because i have a i have a theory on this too which is Uh, that the more things you try, you know, like the more doors that you have, the more likely one of those doors will open. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of just trying to be a novelist and I get the other argument too, that if you focus on being a novelist, you might succeed at that quicker. But if you're trying to be a novelist and a screenwriter and a video game writer, any one of those doors might open for you before the other ones. And if you hadn't tried all of them, you never would have known. So for me, Mm -hmm. it kind of happened where I was trying to be a screenwriter slash novelist and the video game door opened because I was open to that. And then I went and became a video game writer. And while I was there, I started publishing my books and, I uh, got a screen player two option. And yeah, I say or two because one was like a dollar option and one was an actual option. So, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I try all that screenwriting, video game writing, novel
0: writing. Let's talk about one thing I heard recently about with you. Um, I'd read Crash from David Wright and uh, Sean Platt uh, recently. For some reason, it took me forever to read it. It was a really good book, really good sh- short novel. And I just heard that you adapted it and it actually got sold. Yeah. So, who did you hear that from, by the way? Curious. I don't know. I was just wondering if it's on. I might have heard it from your email list (laughs) that I signed up for. (laughs) Oh,
1: I think I put it on my website too. So I don't know if you saw that, but it might've been on the website. But so Sean and them apparently had Kevin on their podcast recently and, and they talked about it. So I don't know which one's airing first, yours or their episode, but that's out there. And Mm -hmm. Sean has mentioned that we were doing it a long time ago. Uh, But yeah, so, so Sean and I worked on it together actually. Uh, So it wasn't just me. And, so we had to do like an agreement between the two of us and then the two of us had to option it from him and David. So it's kind of this funny weird paper thing going on there. Oops, <laughs> keep knocking the headphones out of my ear. But uh, yeah, so we, we went through this service that uh, this guy named Ashley Scott Miller, who I'll give a little shout out to because he runs a cool podcast called Selling Your Screenplay. Hmm, okay. uh, awesome podcast. And what's cool about... How it worked out is we had him on our podcast, and then we chatted about this list he has where he sends it out to his crew, you know, it's like people of all these producers and managers and whatnot he's met over the years. And a lot of times in screenwriting worlds, you hear that those lists are lame. But I was like, you know what, this guy, this guy sounds smart. And he he sounds like he's known what he's talking about. So let's try it. After trying a few other things that weren't really working, we tried that he blasted it out to his email list, the uh, basically just the log line, just the one sentence version of what Crash is all about. And within like two days, we had like 20 or 30 people saying, yeah, let's read this. I want to read this. And then within like five days, we had five producers like, hey, I want to get it. Can I get it? Can you option it to me? And then we ended up narrowing it down to like two who were really willing to pay. And then we ended up going with the one we liked the most. So it was a pretty cool experience that I'm not used to. You know, like usually you write a screenplay and it takes you a year or two and you're trying to shop it around. You make a little tension, some screenplay wins, contest wins, whatever Mm-hmm. Uh but this one we kind of we finished. We I think we should, we tried some things like ink tip for like a couple of weeks and then we did this and it was like boom and it was gone. Like wow, <laughs> it was pretty cool. That's very cool. Well, I really like the story. I hope it I hope it gets made. Uh is oh, there I any will.
0: dramatic difference <laughs> in that story? Is there like did you I don't know. Did you you tell you me.
1: Let's see. I wanna <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I know you haven't read the screenplay, but um one thing that I thought's really cool about that. So I guess I'm going to spoil it for people right now. So people who don't want to be spoiled, cover your ears. But what's really cool going on in that script, which you could, you might feel kind of corny at first, is uh, it's about a guy who's taking pictures of car accidents because he lost his daughter in a car crash. And so he's trying to capture something by taking these pictures, you know, like find something about himself. But then he starts seeing an image of a man in those pictures. And he's like, what the hell is this? And then he tries to show it to people, but nobody else sees it. And things start happening. He starts hearing his daughter's voice. He thinks that, you know, she's a ghost. She's here. She's trying to, like, connect with him or something like that. And he's like, what Mm -hmm. the hell? What's really cool about um, some of the things we added to the script that weren't as much in the book, like there's the pharmacy scene where he kind of has a flashback to his daughter. And here we made it more like he's tripping out. Like he kind of sees his daughter. He's like, is that her? Is that not her? And like some weird moments like this. Mm -hmm. And later there's some cool stuff where he sees her again. He kind of sees her face and he thinks he's seeing the ghost, right? But not really. He hears her voice too. And he's like, well, I'm hearing her voice. I'm seeing her face. I was the ghost. But then you <laughs> find out, here's the big spoiler uh, for people who haven't read the book or my screenplay. Mine is Sean's screenplay. You find out he's in a coma and that he wasn't hearing his daughter's voice from the afterlife. He was in the coma and she's in the hospital. And so his eyes were kind of opening and he's kind of seeing her. And that's what he saw. And he's hearing her because he's kind of gaining consciousness a little bit. And then he's getting closer to the, closer to the moment where he's going to wake up. And then he's this guy who we seen. I won't spoil that part for you. There's other parts that are, there's more reveals and more stuff. I don't <laughs> want to spoil all of it. But that was like the really cool part that I thought was kind of there in the book, but we brought a lot, a lot more in the screenplay version of it. And I think mm-hmm. it'll be more cinematic too, because all that stuff you could see and you see the blurriness of her and all that. And then when, you, when it actually is revealed, you're like, oh my God, you know? So I think, I think yeah. it'll be really fun. I think the producers are so excited and they put enough money into it that they would not want to not let it get made. <laughs> <laughs> knock on of fingers cross and all that of course
0: but good i think it'll make a good film it's, i read it and i was like no that would be a good film i think that's awesome. uh
1: yeah yeah and those kind of movies sell real well too like they're easier to sell the screenplays because like psychological horror thriller suspense whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. uh there's definitely a market for that in the screenplay world and, and so we went indie it's not like a big studio it's not fox or something and these indie filmmakers love to do that kind of stuff especially this really touchy-feely some of the revelations that I didn't talk about right now that you're probably aware of, you know, like that stuff, it, it hits you. And when you're in a, you know, a movie film festival, like Sundance or something, that's going to be the stuff that wins the awards, I think. And, you know, gets the audience like,
0: yeah,
1: cheering for you. <laughs> yep. So, I agree. I hope. Um, <laughs> I mean, it'd
0: be, and it's a lot easier than like some of the other work like yesterday's gone, which is massive cast and every, you know, it'd be crazy. That's a, that's a high budget film unless you're
1: yeah i really actually had a producer asking me about what other projects do you guys have what else can we get going and he was really interested in yesterday's gone and invasion and we haven't moved forward yet because yeah those would both be more like if we want to work with a big studio yes if we want to work with indie producers probably not gonna happen yeah so easily be, while we're on be the topic, topic i wanted to uh-huh. no, sure. i was just saying while we're on this topic of like film uh adaptation stuff something that's uh pretty cool that we're Kind of slowly announcing, so in like baby steps, uh, we can mm-hmm. chat more about it as it becomes a real thing. Uh, and it is real already, but it's not like solid. Is uh, PT Hilton and I? He's an author who knows Michael LeRon and all these people. Also, we're working together to adapt some uh, some some novels into screenplays, and we're mm-hmm. writing our own teleplay. We did a teleplay that's doing really well in a contest right now. It's in the top 50, and we're hoping it gets to the top 10 because then you get this year-long mentorship. And if you get if you win, then of course you could like pitch AMC and all this stuff. So that's pretty cool. But what we're also doing is we're adapting John L. Monk's novel. I don't know if you're familiar with John L. Monk, but he's an amazing author. He has a, <laughs> a book called Kick and it's really good. And so it's oh, my God. It's basically like Quantum Leap meets Dexter. It's it's a guy who he keeps getting he's he killed himself. He's committed suicide. He keeps getting reborn into serial killers bodies and basically having to figure out what they're doing, like how they're killing people or whatever, and stop them from doing it. and Like either either kill them or put things right or whatever, you know. But then something huh. happens where he wakes up in one body one day and he can't figure out what the guy did or what's wrong with the situation. And then the cool stuff happens and you get all teary eyed and you stay up till four in the morning reading it. So that was my situation. Oh my God, I was getting all emotional. I'm up at three or four and I have to go to work the next morning. And I'm like, what the hell, man? I wrote him. I'm like, I'm pissed at you. <laughs> you kept me up all night. <laughs> so when you get a book like that, you have to make it into a movie. And so PT, and Hilton, PT Hilton and I are working with John to, to make that happen. And we're actually going to kind of start a business. So This will be some stuff i'll be talking about on future podcasts in the near future so uh you're lucky to hear it here first (laughs) (laughs) pt and i are going to be working with other authors to do the same and we might go a little bit of vice versa also with screenplays to novels
0: yeah i heard you hint around about that a little bit on on your podcast or something yeah
1: yeah Yeah, we've been kind of giving it here and there and yeah talked about john L. monk's stuff a little bit so thanks -hmm. for listening man yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. i
0: do my research And the Sloan Zone. I have watched a few uh,
1: yeah. of that. <laughs> Who gave me that? Oh, I, uh, Luke, Luke Condor. Uh, he has a podcast called Luke's Massive Storytelling Thing or something like this. Uh, sorry if I got it wrong, buddy. Um, <laughs> anyway, so he wrote me jokingly, I think, one day. And he was like, you should call your podcast the Sloan Zone. And I was like, whatever, that's stupid. And then like three months later, I was like thinking about doing a YouTube channel because everybody's doing it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'll just call it the Sloan Zone. If anybody hates it, I'll stop. And then it just stuck. So. But, <laughs> yeah. so
0: we should talk a little bit about your book series, because you have like three or four of them, I think. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Bringer of Light, because that's I've seen that Ali Strom and The Reign of Solomon, which is the first book. I've seen it uh, a few places now. Can you tell a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, that that one so maybe I'll go in order a little bit too though, if you don't mind, just because oh, so I we're into works the, the detail. But I started writing back in the day with uh, the first book in the Falls of Redemption trilogy, which is fantasy. And that was Mm -hmm. uh, it's now become the first book is called Land of Gods. Uh, But that went in all kinds of different directions, you know, for years, like for like six years, I think I was (laughs) kind of playing with that, revising it, changing it completely. In the meantime, I started writing some other novels. A couple of those being uh, a few of them were just screenplays at first and they weren't novels, such Mm -hmm. as Back by Sunrise and Teddy Bears and Monsterland. And like kind of I was like thinking, oh, I want to write for Pixar, you know, or Disney, like these would be what I would. You know, just trying to, like, get into the zone of that. And here's my calling card type thing. Mm-hmm. But then I said, okay, well, I want to write another novel now. I want to do something. Um, at, at one point, it was totally different. Uh, it was kind of more like, it does become this kind of, but it was kind of Guardian Angel-esque. Uh, kind of like Harry Potter, Guardian Angel-esque. Without being too Harry Potter, because I didn't want to try to rip it off. But, like, that was the inspiration there. I was okay. like, I love... I love the idea of these characters who are so emotionally attached to each other. And so, you know, in this magical world, but it's not all about the magic it's about them and their relationships to each other and their family and all that. So I I made that with the first version of the Ali Strom Bringer of light trilogy. And then of course, same idea, you know, it sucked. It was stupid. I revised it like crazy. (laughs) And that became this, uh, what it is now. And then the first books, Ali Strom, Ali Strom and the ring of Solomon. She finds this necklace in her closet that, and finds out the same day that she finds her necklace she never saw her mom without that necklace she finds out Mm -hmm. that her mom has gone missing in the military she's been deployed overseas and they don't know where she is and so it's just really weird that she found this necklace on the same day right well anyway weird things start happening magic 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 (laughs) and she has to save her mom and it's like this whole fallen angel kind of cult-like thing going on there and uh spoiler the uh the stone in her necklace ends up being the ring from the ring of solomon which is rumored to control angels and demons according to actual like mythology and that part of the world. Uh so I incorporated oh. all that and then book two and three get even wackier and crazier, of course.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um <laughs> and, and, long answer.
1: And you can get, get that book if you uh subscribe to the email list, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm always torn or toying with like which books to give in that list and like does it make sense? Because right now I give away Back by Sunrise, Ali Strom, the Ring of Solomon, and Land of Gods. It's totally different books. Uh Back mm-hmm. by Sunrise, well Back by Sunrise and Ali Strom aren't too aren't too different because actually the, it's different age groups. Ally Strom is more for like 12, 13 and Back by Sunrise more like nine, 10. Uh, hmm. But the little girl from Back by Sunrise ends up being the mom in the, the Ali Strom books. So that's kind of my fun tie in oh, there. No. I like to tie in trilogies like that, where you just have like one little thing that, you know, and so the necklace actually in Back by Sunrise is the same necklace that Ali Strom gets that ends up being the ring and all that. Oh, Spoiler, cool. but you know, you these are, are kids a, you're going to have your, or you're books are spoil have your kids zone kids. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I'm figuring, you know, like it's, you got to know what's exciting about it or you're not going to want to have your kids read it. So true. <laughs> I won't spoil land of gods for anybody. I don't think who knows what's going to come out of my mouth. Right. You never know. <laughs> but, but that's the question for you is like, is it weird to get the email that has back by sunrise, I Strom in the land of gods three or at least land of gods, you know, that's violence. It's kind of based on my military background with like ancient Peloponnesian war influences has warfare of course and all that stuff. So it's, it's going to be a different audience I would think, but I've had a few readers who are like, Oh my God, this is all perfect. And it blows my mind because I wouldn't think that they would want to read the same those books together
0: thoughts it, that's tough because you do have different age groups, um, yeah I guess because most i I don't know, but I would guess parents would get the books first most of the time rather than a kid yeah. join an email list and get into books. I don't think so, kids are
1: allowed to join a email list. like I think there's something legal like where you're not supposed to get teenagers or kids or something on your mailing list. I could be totally wrong I think about so. that. At least yeah. 13
0: or under, uh, maybe more
1: than that. Um, I think this is my thought. Too, so, because, like, your parent, as a parent, you get the email, or as a grandparent or whatever, and Land of Gods is for you. The other two books, you can also read and probably enjoy because I wrote them in like, that Pixar style where everybody should like them. But they're more to hand off to your kids or grandkids.
0: Yep, I think it, I think it makes sense. Maybe someday if you have more series that are mature, uh, yeah. then you might want to split it at some point. Like, I LeBron. think right now it works.
1: Yeah, I have actually split them inside of there. I think what I do is in the second or third email, or maybe I haven't yet, but I plan on it. I think I've done it. I don't know. Anyway, so in the second or third email, I say, okay, now that you've seen what I'm doing, uh, if you want to join my kids' mailing list, here it is. Otherwise, we're going to continue down this fantasy route. And the main reason I did that is because like 90% of my mailing list has found me through a thing called Author Platform Rocket, where I was giving away Land of Gods. So they're all fantasy people. Uh, And so it's kind of weird to have that whole list of fantasy people also be pinged with all these emails about kids' books. So it has mm-hmm. begun the process of separation. I think I originally, I think I did hear a little bit about you. I
0: think you were a guest on some podcast a while back because I remember hearing someone talking about writing for Telltale Games mm-hmm. and, and Game of Thrones. I'm assuming that was you. Yeah. And um, so why <laughs> don't you to tell us a little bit about, about that experience and uh, and about writing for Game of Thrones.
1: Sure. Yeah, it'd be probably the self-publishing podcast or maybe it's Kevin's podcast, Wordslinger, mm-hmm. And then more recently, I've been on like Simon Whistler's uh, Rock and Self-Publishing podcast and a few others. So I'm trying to, you know, get myself out there because I love you guys and I love podcasting and it's a great experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Telltale. Yeah, so I might have mentioned I mentioned I started with Land of God's writing right back in the day. Well, the reason I did that was because I had read the Game of Thrones books, the first four and I was waiting for the fifth. It might have even been the first three and I was waiting for the fourth. I don't really remember what year those were. But anyway, so Game of Thrones, and I'm like, man, I love these books. I love Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn, et cetera, et cetera. I want more like it. I can't find any more. Maybe I'll try writing one and just see what happens, right? (laughs) You know, obviously, it's not going to be as good, but I'll at least, if I have this burning passion for these stories, why don't I try to put them on the page also?
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: so I did. And so Game of Thrones influenced me to write Land of Gods and that whole series, and he had done it based on wars of the roses, you know, in Europe. And so I thought, well, why don't I base mine on the Peloponnesian war? Because I just finished a cool class in my master's program on the Peloponnesian war. And the whole class was about, you know, realism and all these things. and It was awesome. And it was cool. And, uh, all these betrayal and, you know, people stabbing each other in the back and whatnot. So, so I based that on that and la 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 comes along. I can tell you that story. If you're curious, I get into <laughs> telltale games and I'm there and I'm suddenly writing on game of thrones and so it really was like this life-changing, you know, eye-opening. Like, wow, I've, I've made it. <laughs> I, I'm done. I can stop now. Is how I felt. I felt kind of because I'm actually writing on the thing that inspired me to write in the first place. Uh-huh. So in that sense, I can just say, like, yeah, working at Telltale Games was awesome. I did two years there. Working on video games is really cool because you get to, you know, see your and they're pretty quick around their turnaround too, which not all games are. You know, like you'll write uh-huh. something like three months later, it'll be in a game that's on the market, and some people would argue that, you know, the opposite. Some some annoyed fans, but uh, <laughs> as far as the quick turnaround. But, it, but it's really cool because you'll be writing and all of a sudden you'll be like, oh my God, Marjorie from Game of Thrones is saying my lines that I just wrote. This is so cool. And all the other actors, you know, you had Tyrion in there. You had these, these great actors. And then, our, of course, our characters that we made up, those actors. And uh, that and then coming up with like the choices and all that, like in, in Telltale Games, it's, for people who don't know, it's all about choices. It's like, all about role playing. So you're Mm -hmm. in these scenarios, it's more like a TV show and you're you're making moral dilemma style choices every once in a while. And that changes how the game goes around you kind of like role-playing
0: kind of like a find your own fate type book
1: but it doesn't go like one of those will go like dead end dead end dead end this is more about like now this person is going to hate you for the rest of the game and that's going to change this thing over here so it's more like how things change versus you fail you fail you fail that's kind of cool you never really fail which is not like oh you always really fail depending on how you want to look at it (laughs) and that's one of the big (laughs) things is always making sure that every choice has like a a failure and a success in it so that you don't always feel like you're making the right or the wrong we're not trying to teach people moral lessons here we're trying to make you have a crazy experience you know and so that was really fun because that helped my fiction writing too and in that sense of thinking about those like moral dilemma choices along the way and mm-hmm. like the character will be doing that anyway and it's it's cool to maybe think about a few of them and then pick the one that seems the most awesome and the, maybe maybe the not the one that doesn't come to your head first but it also kind of made me think of that the reader is, you know, you know, the idea that the reader is go living through the protagonist, you know, if you're reading a story, certain stories, thrillers do this less so, but a lot of stories like stick to Harry Potter, you know, you are Harry Potter for the duration of that novel. Basically. If he gets slapped in the face, you got slapped in the face <laughs> <laughs> and maybe not always. And a lot of authors don't do this, but, but that's something I really took away from my telltale time is like, I really try to incorporate that into my writing so that you feel you are one with this character. So if, if they go and do something that's like, like a horrible example let's, well, let's not use a horrible example let's use a less horrible example if that character just randomly kills somebody on the side of the street you're going to be like well screw this novel and throw it away right because mm-hmm. that character's stupid now you don't you, you don't want to be that character anymore and so that's what i'm talking about here is the idea that the reader really wants to in some way be the character and like i said exceptions to the rules of course <laughs> <laughs> always exceptions to the rules and there's lots of books I can think of that are not that way. But in my fiction, that's what I love to read and that's what I love to write. And even when you're reading Game of Thrones and you're reading like the bad guy's point of view, George Martin does a wonderful you know, job of making sure that you kind of get where that character is coming from. And you could almost be that person if you had these horrible situations that happened to you in life, kind of, maybe. Yeah, he's very good at that.
0: Was it only Game of Thrones or did you work on any other games?
1: Yeah, I worked on Tales from the Borderlands, Minecraft Story Mode, and uh Walking Dead michonne Ah, uh-huh, okay, cool. All great experiences.
0: All right. So when I joined your email lists, I did find a nonfiction email list also. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah, I saw that in there too. Good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so you have that creative writing careers book. You also have a military veterans in creative careers. Yeah. Or how'd you get
1: involved in that? Yeah. So I was in the Marines for five years and uh as I kind of mentioned, that influenced Land of Gods. It um what happened oh, was my right. grandma kept asking me to write a journal about my military time and my travels around the world. Cause I'd separate from the military also traveled around the world. And so writing that book was kind of my way of doing that. Cause I tried to write a journal on the page into it. I was like, this is stupid. I hate this. And <laughs> so then I thought, well, why don't I write a fictional version of that? You know? So in the book and people have said this in the reviews too, you feel like, you know, he's going through Marine Corps boot camp kind of, cause that's kind of what happens. He goes to this kind of like Spartan-esque training where it's kind of a mixture of 300 versus modern day, Marine Corps, full metal jacket, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's where all that came from was kind of that influence uh, from the military. And a lot of my other books too have that. Back by Sunrise, the little girl's dad, you know, early on in the story dies. And the story's about her dealing with the grief. It's very much a land before time, uh, mm-hmm. written in modern, you know, urban, whatever settings. Mm-hmm. And then uh, same thing with Ali Strom, The Ring of Solomon, her mom is in the military. I'll put quotations and marks around that because there's some reveals around this that you'll find out through reading the book uh, if you haven't yet. And, and so, so yeah, military ties is very much into my fiction and who I am. And it also is, is great as far as a networking tool, because it's kind of like you have this big alumni network of other veterans. If you serve in the military, I, a lot of these people are willing to help each other out. And there's a lot of veterans in Hollywood for, you know, screenwriters. There's a group called veterans in film and television, which is great about this. So anyway, yeah, I wanted to uh, interview a bunch of these veterans in screenwriting uh, and writing for, video games and writing for, for novels and, and put them together in a book with my own advice thrown in there. And then I started a podcast on it too. Although the podcast is now after 44 episodes on hiatus, mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to figure out a rebrand because it wasn't as successful as creative writing career podcast was. So we're just trying to see if there's a better way to approach that because maybe we were too broad because in that podcast, military veterans and creative careers, it was creative careers. It's all over the place. You know, there's not one specific, it wasn't just focused on writing or anything. Um, and actually the book wasn't either. The book was acting and directing and producing and all that stuff. So it's interesting for any military veteran who's thinking, oh, I want to do something cool. And they can like flip to whatever part interests them most. But it's it's not like something you would tune in necessarily every week because it doesn't always apply to you.
0: So mm-hmm. yeah. makes sense. And then
1: now I'm working actually as an editor. So I left Telltale Games to go do something totally different <laughs> uh, and work as an editor slash writer at uh, military.com. So I'm writing articles, helping veterans transition into the civilian world. And I still throw some creativity in there. Like I did one about Game of Thrones where it's basically four four lessons you can learn for the civilian workplace from Game of Thrones, something like that. I forget what the title was exactly. It's just <laughs> kind of fun. It's about like watch out because you never know uh, who's, who you align with might have their head chopped off the next day. You know, you never know uh, when you're going to walk into work and your boss is just going to be fired or your coworker that you were like best buddies with is going to be fired. And yeah, but four other great lessons. You got to read the article. to. to learn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So let's talk a little bit about how you came up with some of your ideas for your books. I, I know you talked about the fantasy one being very inspired by your, your military background. I mean, what about the children's ones? What inspired you to do those particular stories?
1: So inspiration for the other stories, uh, for the children's stories, it's really that I love uh, all those stories. You know, like I'm a diehard uh, Disney fan. I'm a diehard, diehard Pixar fan. I, re- I want to go to Disneyland not for my kids so much as for me. And to watch the experience that my kids have when they go for the first time, because that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's really just that I'm a kid at heart and always will be, I'm sure. Um, and then, and like I mentioned, a part of was because I had the screenplays. So I wrote the screenplays with the idea of that maybe someday I can get into Pixar or Disney. So I want to start getting ready now and have a lot of uh, work in that genre that I'll be able to, to learn from and grow from and, and maybe come back to someday and, and, and use. And of course, if they get made into movies, that'll be awesome. And I I rewrote those and in the process said, well, now that they're just sitting around on the shelves because uh, animation screenplays are super hard to sell. It it rarely happens. Um, So knowing that, I said, okay, well, I might as well turn them into novels and at least uh, share them with the world. And I'm glad I have. It's been a really interesting experience. Most of the reviews I get are from adults not all. There was a weird one I got the other day that's obviously from a kid who rambles on about French fries in between the middle of the review. <laughs> but the ones you get from adults are co- crazy because you're like some some military guy in his like 50s emails me and tells me how he started bawling in the middle of my book. And I'm just like, what? Kind of, that's so I mean, it's, it's sad that people cry, but it's it, when it's re- related to to literature, it's awesome because something's touching them emotionally. You know, to have written a book that touches somebody so emotionally, even though it's a book for kids, uh, feels great. Have you adapted those to screenplay then? Well, so those were screenplays first. Oh, so, Okay. Yeah, those two. So, well, Back by Sunrise and then Teddy Bears and Monsterland were both screenplays first. Uh, Alice Strahm and the Ring of Solomon I adapted into a screenplay after it was a novel. Um, other ones... It's been here and there. I think those are the main ones I have. I, I wrote this literary novel called Mohira, and it's about a woman from Central Asia dealing with life in America after divorce. She's from a Muslim family, and they want to embrace that back home. And then ethnic violence breaks out against her people back home too. So she really feels like she has no place to belong, and she's trying to you know, stand up and live her life and figure out who she is. Totally different from my other stuff. <laughs> that one I tried to adapt, or I started to try to adapt into a novel. Uh, sorry, Yeah. What did I write it? No, it was a novel. I tried to adapt it into a screenplay, but like 10 pages into it, I was just like, man, I do not know how to approach this. It's like, I, I know for sure when it comes to screenwriting, I'm more of a kind of a genre writer. I'm not, I'm not that guy who's going to write like the top Sundance winner for just regular drama, literary awesomeness. <laughs> that's, that's somebody way smarter than me. So I, I'm guessing because of your
0: children's ones would probably be animation. Most likely do you find animation a little bit more difficult sell uh, when trying to option or or not?
1: Yeah, yeah. like all the big studios, they don't really do that. You know, they all have in-house stuff. People write their animation ideas and they come up with it in-house and there's companies out there and I've had like uh, Back by Sunrise was kind of optioned by a small producer who had something going on, but then it didn't work out. And like maybe foreign countries sometimes approach me for these kind of things. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that hasn't worked out and it's definitely tough. There is a kid's one that me and, uh, that Sean and I did together, actually. Sean Platt, again, just like Crash, we adapted his, you know, he, does, he has a pen name, Guy Incognito. It's uh, children's books. And he has one called Santa Claus Exposed. And it's about, it's a Christmas thing. And it's about one that of the That could go either way. Who knows what that story <laughs> could be like. <laughs> Maybe that's why the title is a little confusing. I don't know. But yeah, it's about his, the kids, <laughs> uh, you know, mystery kind of trying to solve if Santa Claus is real or not. And that's fun. And we we adapted that and that would be live action, I imagine. Somebody could do it animated if they wanted to, but it definitely feels better as live action. It's not pure comedic and it's not pure like there's no children turning into animals and flying around or anything like that. So (laughs) cool. We're actually sending that one out to producers next week. So maybe by the time this airs or something or soon after I can have some updates on that, fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: And whenever you do adaptations, what did you learn about doing that process like, you know, trying to figure out what what should stay in it and what what needs to change, you know, in when going to a visual medium? Uh
1: yeah, so it's tough of course. Um going from novel to screenplay, the main, you know, the main thing is with a novel you have all this internal thought going on and and that's what helps the story make a lot of sense. So trying to figure out more cinematic ways for all that to happen. I'm trying to think if I have any good examples right now. I don't off the top of my head, but You know, in a main scene, if you have something that the character is thinking, you got to find either you got to pair that person, that character up with another person so that they can verbalize it or you got to decide, is it worth having in the story? Does it really add that much? Maybe you cut it. Or maybe instead of her saying an object meant so much to her or something was given by her grandma or internally thinking it, you have her just pick it up and look at it and you know that moment means something to her. She puts it down and then later in the movie you can have somehow reference it with the grandma or with a picture of the grandma and she puts it next to it and looks at them again and you realize, oh, the grandma gave that to her or something like this, you know. So there's, mm-hmm. there's more visual ways that you need to approach screenwriting because if it's just talking a whole lot, then that's a play. Or if it's all internal, maybe that's a novel, you know. John Monk's book john l monk the uh, the novel kick that we're adapting that one has a lot of narration because the guy kind of has to explain to us what's going on and why he's doing this whole like jumping into different bodies thing just like quantum leap as weird as that show is i tried to watch it again yesterday and wow it, it, it's different <laughs> it's different <laughs> as i remember it that one too had a lot of narration internal dialogue because it's just like such a weird like body hopping kind of thing like it's so weird to explain in just a visual way so that'll be quite fun for us to figure out as we move forward
0: yeah, yeah. I read recently the novellas uh, "Karma Police" by mm-hmm. Wright and uh, Platt. Yeah, and I was thinking this is a really good story, but it would be difficult because it's so much is right, you know, in her head. So
1: is that a potty hopper novel? It is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I have to check that out. Haven't read it yet.
0: Yeah, I like it. I like I like Wright and Platt together. I mean, I like truant Johnny B. Truant too, but uh, <laughs> I, I dig I dig David's little dark edge. Yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah um, for sure so i, I think we cover quite a bit uh, just to remind people you also have that nonfiction book creative writing careers i've been I've been starting to read that book I've been really enjoying it um, cool. uh, I really liked how like for example, in one chapter you talk about the different type of plotting structure options are out there that are some of the more popular ones. I didn't know oh, the yeah. sequence one for some reason, or
1: at least I don't the think this that... is great. It's the main thing that USC teaches, you know, USC film school, university of Southern California for people who don't know is like the, one of the main film schools uh, that's out there. And that's what they teach is the sequence approach. And it's awesome. And what pisses me off beyond all belief is some of these people who write structure books for novelists, and it's like, this has never been done or nobody's ever written a structure book for novelists before. And then they just take these exact same principles and just write them the same. And that's it. Uh. <laughs> just, yeah, so frustrating. But anyway, um, yeah, I like that part of the book too, because that was, that was one of my goals is I wanted to show people that they're, I mean, people know this, but I wanted to lay it out there for people who don't, for like aspiring writers starting off, that there are multiple ways you can approach structure. And in a way, it's all the same. And I laid out my teddy bear story saying, here how is, here's how that plays out in this. And it's kind of repetitive, but in the same sense, it shows it's all the same stuff. It all can lead to the same story. And maybe you write your story first and then go look at those structure, ways of doing structure so you can see, oh, okay, here's where I should hit more of an emotional beat here or that. And you don't have to use it as, you know, a rule book. It can be more of guidelines, you know. Or it can be more of just helping you figure out after the fact what's wrong, like what you didn't really do right. You know, not, not that you have to do it a certain way, but if the story is feeling flat, maybe it's because you didn't have some emotional ups and downs that you need to at certain points to make the audience reach the levels of their expectations from having watched so many movies and read so many books throughout the ages. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that book, just to give a quick a version of where that came from, that was, I, was at, I was at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco as an Asia analyst. And that was my job. I was doing Taiwan, India, a little bit of Korea, a little bit of Japan fun stuff <laughs> and I thought <laughs> I need to be a writer up to that point I was writing but I was doing it on the side I was like I could be two-tracked me I could do both and then I was like no no I refuse to do both anymore I'm gonna go 100% writer and so I started networking like crazy emailing people going on LinkedIn with everybody I could find blah 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 blah. I've told this story on self-publishing podcast and other places but what I did then is I thought well wait I just spent all this time asking all these questions why would I just throw them away in my brain when I could throw them on some paper? <laughs> and make a book out of it. And so that's what I did there, is I, I took everything I'd been learning from that process of talking to people, reading books, what have you, watching, mm-hmm. listening to podcasts, watching movies, whatever. And I put it in the book, and I then, as you know, uh, talked to a bunch of these people who I'd already spoken to, or new people, reached out to them and said, hey, I'm putting this book together. Would you like to interview in it and just give your advice on how to break into writing and what it means to be a writer? And so a lot of awesome people did, like Joshua Rubin, who wrote on Assassin's Creed 2 and won an award for that. Uh, awesome guy. He had some great advice about getting into video games, going to the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. Will White, who's an awesome novelist who wrote uh, House of Blades, which is a really cool self-published book. It was probably one of the first self-published books that made me realize self-published books can be awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before that, I, I was one of those guys who had that stigma against him and I read that and I was like, yeah! And then it just kept spiraling, you know? Find John L. Monks' book. Find P. T. Hilton's Zane Holloway book. Find all these books that are just like way better than a lot of the traditionally published stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, so I so got a lot of these cool authors to be part of that and screenwriters and whatnot. And then Stefan Bugai who worked at Pixar for 12, 14 years, worked at Telltale Games and is now producing movies down in LA, he wrote book two with me. And so we got his input in there as well. And then more more awesome, higher level, even than I knew I could get a hold of uh, people who were interviewed on in that. Like some writers from uh, Divergent and Game of Thrones, the TV show, uh, writer the guy who produced all the Batman movies and wrote on the comics, I think, you know, uh, some other people <laughs> that are awesome and amazing. So, huh? so doing those two books is really cool for me because that helped me grow as a writer and as a person. And of course helped with the networking as well, you know, cause I get it, therefore talk to all these people that I otherwise would just be like, Hey, can you talk to me? And they'd be like, what for? But in this case it's to do a book or as it led to the podcast and then I get them on the podcast and then they share all that cool information firsthand with everybody else listening. So as awesome. you know, from doing podcasts, it's an awesome experience where you get to sit down with sometimes boring because it's usually interesting people <laughs> and have great conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why None I don't been boring. Sorry. Just to throw that out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're getting about time to wrap things up here. So before we do, you know what, what are you working on right now?
1: Yeah. Well, first of course, the, uh, the, the one with Michael Leron. Mm-hmm. Uh So we're, we're done with book one. We're in the middle of book two. Uh, We're moving full stream on that. And we have book three kind of somewhat outlined. So our goal is to go like month, month, month with the publishing schedule on that. One month, Mm -hmm. one month, one month. And that's going to be exciting. And really, you know, it's kind of like dark fantasy, modern day necromancy, like a guy who wants to bring his wife back from the dead. And then the guy who's going to lead him there betrays him and things go wrong. And now he has to decide, do I keep trying to get my wife or do I stop this guy from raising an army of the dead that'll destroy the world type stuff? What? Craziness. (laughs) And then... (laughs) And then P.T. Hilton and I, like I mentioned, we have our our screenplay that we're doing and I want to turn that into a novel when we're done with that uh, because I think it's going to be awesome. Basically, it's like the way I'm looking at it is post-apocalyptic Game of Thrones, but you could also look at it as post-apocalyptic Boardwalk Empire. It's kind of got a little bit of both of those in there. So it's going to be epic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds very cool. Uh, Yeah, if only we had more time in the day, though. That kills me, you know? Oh, and I have book four outlined for my Falls of Redemption trilogy and that is going to blow your mind. Like you read this book, you're going to be like, what the hell? Because you look at book one and it's the first book I ever wrote. So you're probably going to read that. And you're be like, this is kind of cool. There's some cool stuff in here. Oh, maybe i will see what happens in book two. Book two, you're going to be like, oh, okay, I, I see what he's doing here. I see what he's doing. Book three, you're going to be like, holy crap, this is amazing. And in your book four, you're going to be like, what? Who is Justin Sloan? I want to meet this guy. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the, I've, I've actually videotaped that expression over the years of people reading my books. i just, just joking. I haven't it. <laughs> Um, yes. Well, awesome. It, it's been great. do not great. have
0: an ego. <laughs> it's been great chatting with you, and thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel Kane, author of the Morganville Vampire series, and you're listening to Genretainment.
0: Thanks to Justin for chatting with me and also for having me on his podcast. You can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes, and don't forget, by signing up to his email list, you can get a number of his books for free to try out. Before I go, I want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher under Sci-Fi Pulse Radio or by following our John Entertainment Facebook page, my Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our website at JohnAttainment.com or follow all the shows at Sci-FiPulseRadio.com. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. John Entertainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until next time.
1: monkey